Lights out, and welcome back to the Finishing First Podcast. I am your host, Frank Skrzewski, at the F609, and as always, to uh, join me for another great race review, Michael O'Byrne, all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. How we doing, Frank? Just got back to Louisville from hometown USA, Perrysburg, uh, Ohio. Spent a fabulous, relaxing 4th of July weekend out there doing all the down hometown american things bike riding fireworks grilling chilling by the pool how was your weekend frank i threw a first birthday party for 60 people at my house i still haven't recovered you look like you were doing quite a bit of work on that flat top well you know chef f chef f always comes to deliver man of man of many hats I see you're starting FJ Young, got his uh, first racing vehicle this weekend. He did. He did. The big news of the weekend was FJ's McLaren uh, push car that came from his godmother, Charlene, member of the pool. Charlene, actually, with the biggest pool of the week, a little good karma for giving FJ his first McLaren gear, she had Carlos Sainz, the only person to have Carlos Sainz. Jeez. Well. Yeah. All right, Mike. Um. Let's get right into what was an absolutely stunning weekend at the British Grand Prix. Um, I say stunning because at times you were actually stunned seeing footage of uh, cars flying around the racetrack literally and figuratively. Mike, it was a stunning weekend, and I'll use that as my uh, one-word race review here. Give me a word. What describes the weekend in uh, Great Britain? Fireworks, Frank. How else are you going to describe it? Boom, fireworks, 4th of July. Qualifying was perhaps the most boring thing I've ever watched in my life. Quite literally, nothing happened. The entirety of qualifying, I felt like I wasted an entire hour and a half of my life watching qualifying. And then the race provided us with the 3rd of July fireworks that were missing during uh, during that qualifying session where quite literally anything that could have happened during a race happened during a race. It was an amazing race at Silverstone. Don't think you could ask for much better racing than we saw. All right, Mike, we will get right into qualifying here. Um, Q1 saw the departure of Alex Albon, Kevin Magnuson, Sebastian Vettel, Mick Schumacher, and Lance Stroll. Uh, we won't get into too much into Q1 um, other than what was a wet day at Silverstone. A lot of teams struggling with when the weather came what tires to have on, and how to um, handle their laps. So um, we saw some surprise early exits in Q2 as well. Pierre Gasly, Valtteri Bottas, Yuki Tsunoda, Daniel Ricciardo, and Esteban Akon eliminated. This led the opportunity for the first Q3 of Nicholas Latifi's uh, career. What did you have to say about uh, Q1 and Q2 there? Uh, Q1, I think the big news coming out of Q1 is Alex Albon not making it out of Q1. A lot of buzz this weekend around the paddock about the upgrades that the Williams team made to one of its two drivers' cars, and that one driver that did get the upgrades did not make it out of Q1. Nicholas Latifi, who did not get any upgrades and was very vocal, uh, vocally upset about the fact that uh, he wasn't getting any upgrades, did make it out of Q1 into Q2, and then we'll talk a little bit about... Uh, him making it into his first Q3 of the year. Joe Guan Yu with a strong performance in Q1 and Q2 as well. Other than that, kind of referenced it earlier, not much happened. So what did happen during Q2 was the rain really picked up towards the end of Q2. 
uh, probably to middle to end of the qualifying session, which allowed a lot of drivers like Nicholas TV and Guan Yuzhou to put in valuable lap times and completed laps that propelled them up the rankings as uh, other drivers who were not able to put in fast laps in the beginning of the qualifying session were hurt because they were not able to go faster as the weather picked up in qualifying. This allowed uh, Latifi to get to his first ever Q3, a big surprise for the Williams, like uh, Mike said, with Albon being out. Um, the intertires just didn't give anybody the opportunity to push during that lap, uh, as I said. We will move right into Q3. I will run down the final qualifying order first. Uh, Carlos Sainz puts it on pole. Max Verstappen coming in second. Charles Leclerc, Sergio Perez, Lewis Hamilton to round up the top five. Lando Norris uh, in his home race coming in sixth. Fernando Alonso, George Russell, Guan Yuzhou, and as the aforementioned Nicholas Latifi in P10. Q3 had a little uh, more interesting in um, the rain. It eased up a little bit. It gave uh, some drivers the opportunity to do some things and put down some uh, better lap times than they did in the uh, first two qualifying sessions. Mike, what did you have to say about that? Yeah, no, it it was a little bit easier for guys to gain traction on those intermediate tires uh, in Q3 for sure. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, kind of funny. He took one lap and then just went into the pit and like didn't, do anything else in q3 um he, he he did his job he got to q3 he took he took his p10 start and he took his car and went home metaphorically max had a a little bit of an incident uh though he, he spun out he was able to save the car but towards the end of uh q3 max got held up by a yellow flag charles uh spun out on the final push lap yeah i mean he stated that the yellow flag was the reason why he wasn't able to push through that don't know if there was anything else going on there, but that's at least what he said in his post-qualifying uh, presser. Uh, we will now move right on to the race where we will talk about Carlos Sainz' first ever win in F1. I'll run down the top 10. Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, and Kevin Magnussen rounding out the top 10. Mike, right off the top. Carlos Sainz, first pole of the season, maiden win at Silverstone. It was an absolutely electric race from literally for turn one. And Carlos Sainz, as somebody I would say, took pole position and won the race. That tells nothing as a Max Verstappen pole position wins the race, leads every lap. Carlos Sainz won this race in the last 10 laps. And it was absolutely phenomenal to see the racing that we got. Yeah, it was a a crazy race. Uh, Definitely not the way that you would think Carlos Sainz would have gotten his first win. Or or is it? We we spoke about earlier. uh, I guess now's the time to eat our crow. We uh, both on this podcast, Frank and I said that Carlos Sainz was not going to win a race this year. I believe I caveated that statement with a bunch of wonky shit happening. And I think what happened during this race is the definition of a bunch of wonky shit. Now, a little upset Tom Riccardi's not here uh, to fight for his boy Carlos. I don't we'll we'll get into your feelings uh, about how Carlos ends up winning this race. I'm certainly going to play bad cop in this situation. Give Carlos credit where credit's due. He won the race. He kept his car on the track. Um, 
but I don't know. Are you are you going to be our good cop in this situation, Frank? Most certainly not. For somebody who basically called out Carlos Sainz for every podcast we've ever done so far, even um, his second place finishes, I've kind of given him some shit for. So it was very surprising to see him win this race, but in a race that only finished 14 people, I think a lot of different things uh, happened to where, hey, he did it. You know what I mean? What else can you say? So the race started with, um, well, it doesn't really matter how it started. Because I think it does. I think we have some things to talk about, about what happened at the beginning of this race. And if uh, Formula One has some things to think about, whether they matter or not in the grand scheme of things, I did not like the way that they restarted this race. You're talking about exactly why it doesn't matter. And that's because a driver was extremely endangered for his life uh, coming into uh, turn one. Right on the start, George Russell and Guan Yu Zhou collide. Um, they just pinch George Russell, um, clipping Guan Yu Zhou. Guan Yu Zhou's car flipping over immediately, skidding across the gravel right over the tire barrier and into the fencing. Um, this happened within the first 10 seconds of the race. And then you didn't know what really happened for the next 30 to 45 minutes um a lot of conflicting reports um f1 does a great job with coverage during this where they do not show replays they kind of just talk you through that an incident has happened um luckily for guan yu Zhou, everything was all right um if anyone does not know what a halo is it's a wishbone looking device that comes from the front of the driver's steering wheel it goes over the driver's head and protects the driver's head in the event that a car would flip over or a car go over top of another car. This is um, one of the many recent times, the last four to five years that the Halo was introduced, that it has saved somebody's life. And Guan Yu Zhou and everyone across the grid continued to reiterate that statement that they were happy for Guan Yu Zhou and they were happy for the Halo. Yeah, no, it's crazy still to this day. Frank, I know you listen or read up on a bunch of other forums regarding F1, and I think there was a sentiment at least in the stuff that i was reading and listening to that it's ridiculous that there's still a debate about whether or not the halo is a a value-added addition to uh motor racing these days that halo saved joe guan yu's life uh at silverstone it saved another driver's life not even 24 hours prior to that it saved lewis hamilton's life last year when max verstappen's car got airborne and the tire hit his halo anybody saying that the halo is not a value-added addition to motor racing can kindly fuck off. Yeah, Mike, you'll never really see uh, a crash like that. It seemed like as soon as Joe's car flipped, it seemed to pick up speed and then um, actually took a flip right before it hit over the tire barrier. And then there are some incredible images that you see uh, on Instagram and people filming it, how anybody sat there and filmed it. They're absolutely crazy because if that car came... 10 feet higher, it was going into these stands, and um, we could have had an absolutely crazy, even crazier um, scene than it already was. So during coverage, um, once 
Joe was reported okay and being uh, taken out of the car. You kind of saw where the dust was going to settle after the incident. Um, George Russell was out of the race. He did try to get back in his car. They tried to repair it, but um, he was a DNF due to the crash. Guan Yu Zhou also out. Alex Albon, um, another driver that was not able to make it back um, immediately following the crash. Espan Akon, Yuki Tsunoda had some damage along with uh, maybe Sebastian Vettel and some other m- drivers who had some minor damage. Uh, all was uh, repaired, or at least most of it was repaired, uh, what they could in the time frame during the red flag. Then we get into the restart. The news comes from the FIA that they will be restarting the race. As Michael alluded to earlier, um, there was an interesting start that happened. Um, immediately on the race, Carlos had Carlos Sainz had a terrible start. Max Verstappen pulls right ahead. Lewis Hamilton pulls off immediately into third, and um, Checo also has a bad start. When the race resumed from the FIA, they reset the driving order back to the qualifying finishing grid. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, they follow the rules. The, by, by the letter of the law, I guess, if if you cannot get past the second safety car line, which in this case, I believe, is just the end of the first sector of the racetrack, if all cars can't pass that, then the rules are upon a red flag restart that the grid goes back to the original qualifying grid, uh, minus the cars, obviously, that, that can't continue on the track. So let me start by saying they follow the rules. However... I think, at least for me as a new F1 fan, this is a rule that smells of something that doesn't make sense to me. I think personally, both Ferraris had a terrible start and it had almost solely to do, or at least the way that it looked because of the tire strategy that the Ferrari team had them on. They started them out on hards and they didn't have the traction that they needed to get off the line quickly enough. And two drivers that were on medium tires in Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton had great starts and pulled out into the lead and into third place. And I feel like because of the way that they restarted the race, Ferrari wasn't properly punished for their strategy decision on going out on hard tires. It's just like all null and void because Pierre Gasly tries to shoot a gap and George uh, goes tire to tire with Joe Guan Yu and, and flips him. And uh, we already talked about everything that happened, but I don't know. It it just seems like to me, if you have a clear delineation of where you were in that order when the red flag goes out, you should be able to restart in that position. It was very clear the positions that those guys at the first like eight to nine positions were in. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, they were away from the crash after uh, the Russell Joe crash. They were away and you could see that where that formation had. So you would at least think that those beginning drivers would set in that um restart in that grid order but uh that was not the case on the restart uh it's a pretty much i don't know about a cleaner start but carlos Sainz certainly pinches max Verstappen all the way down to the first turn so max Verstappen cannot force his way um into the right hand turn credit to carlos there it was really it was it was a really good start for him on the second like he really boxed out max to a point where he couldn't get by him and max was trying very hard to do so i agree but on a dry track just go straight. You should you should be quicker. You have a car length, and then you should be able to get around on a, a little bit wider of a right-hand turn there. So uh, it seemed like a cheap way to ensure that he was going to get first. Um, I didn't know if that's illegal, but he certainly pinched him, and, and, and everybody noticed it. 
Lewis Hamilton, probably the biggest loser of the restart, um, dropping back to about fifth place. Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc make contact. Uh, Perez has wing damage as well as Leclerc. Perez pits on lap six to take a new wing, and this causes um, him to drop all the way back to 17th, uh, only because we had three DNFs. So he moves to 17th to go around um, and take on the rest of this race. Interesting. I guess we'll talk about the damage that was on Checo's car, and he got a, a black and orange flag to come in for a dangerous vehicle on the track, yet, yet Charles Leclerc is allowed to run an entire race with a uh, missing piece off of his, off of his wing. Uh, I don't I don't know. A little bit of inconsistency there, I think, but it, it is what it is. After Perez pits to take the new wing, Mike, uh, not much happens for about all of five laps. Carlos Sainz makes a mistake in the lead, uh, goes on the grass. Max able to pass him with ease on a lap 11. Um, also on lap 11, both Alpha Tauris make contact. Um, Yuki Tsunoda spins off and hits Pierre Gasly. Two laps later, Max Verstappen gets a puncture on uh, what he says is his tire that he comes in um, to pit. It seemed like he was going over a curb. Uh, later, we find out that it was a piece of carbon. It was a piece of one of the Alpha Towers. There was a picture of him today on uh, Twitter holding up you know, a large piece of carbon from the Alpha Tower. Max going into the pits thinking it might have been a tire. There was nothing the team could do. They put him on new tires and send him back out. This causes Max to continue to say that the car is broken. I love that that's what he thinks broken is. Uh, still being able to drive, but he did have uh, a lot of reduced speeds. He was running around about 80% power now that the floor is the main source of downforce in these vehicles on the 2022 models. This allows uh, Carlos Sainz to retake the lead. Carlos is then told to start hitting time marks as Charles Leclerc is right behind him. Even with a broken front wing, he's still right up the other Ferrari's ass. Um, this had a nice little team radio battle between the two um, that you got to hear on commentary arguing back and forth that one should be allowed to pass the other or the other should give more space. But this all comes down to what they Ferraris do as in term of strategy. They make signs pit in lap 20 onto hard tires. He comes out in third behind Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton. Charles Leclerc pits on lap 25. And Hamilton takes the lead to a plethora of applause from the English fans. Mike, what did you think about um, where that was happening between the two Ferraris there and the infighting? It, I think it just speaks volumes about the Ferrari team strategists and how over the course of the last few weeks, it seems like, listen, I, I'm no expert at this. I don't want to say any thing that's too disparaging to the Ferrari team, but I think there's a resounding sentiment amongst a lot of people in the know in the F1 community that think that the Ferrari strategists have no idea what they're doing. All we heard about while they were doing this infighting over the radio, Charles saying that he's losing time because Carlos isn't going fast enough, giving Carlos time marks that he needs to hit and not hitting them and then continuing to say one more lap, one more lap. It Every second in an F1 race that these strategists aren't super decisive on what they're doing can lose them a race. And quite frankly, it probably should have lost them this race. 
Um, it Charles should have Max should have won this race. If Max doesn't get a, a puncture in his floor, he wins this race and it's not particularly close. Then you go into a situation where Charles really should win this race, but for some reason he, he doesn't. And I think it has a hundred percent to do with the fact that Ferrari either didn't, I don't know if they didn't want him to win, but they didn't put him in a position to win. Max basically falls down the leaderboard. Uh, he finishes somewhere around uh, seventh, I believe. And was basically out of this race, a race that he probably could have won. During this time, a lot of switches happen. Hamilton uh, takes the lead at one point. Signs and Leclerc battle back and forth. The main uh, thing coming out of the rest of the race is Esteban Ocon's DNF. Um, He uh, has a car issue, has to pull over on the side of the car. And this causes a safety car. The safety car is what made this very interesting uh, heading into the last laps. Charles Leclerc was in the lead on hard tires when the safety car was called. He was about 10 to 15 seconds away from pit lane, and Ferrari had an opportunity to pit him onto soft tires. They did not, and he stays out to lead the race. Everyone behind him is able to pit. The only thing I'll say of note to that is Lando Norris uh, takes a bad pit coming around the second time. This allows Fernando Alonso to pass him into fifth, and that is where where um, he would finish. With 42 laps complete, the safety card ends. 10 laps of racing to begin. Charles Leclerc has hard tires, followed by Carlos Sainz, who is on radio being told to give him 10 car paces. Uh, Carlos replied that basically it was bullshit. As he should have. And he was going to go out there and try to win this race. Um Leclerc being on old hard tires, he never stood a chance with Carlos on softs. And this is where everything got juicy. Once Carlos um, is able to pass Charles on, yeah, second lap. Um, yep. So with nine laps remaining, we have a battle for the podium. Charles on old hard tires and Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton coming up the rear on new soft tires. Coming around a chicane, we saw them go three abreast into a a right and a left-hand turn. Perez pushing Leclerc off, Leclerc pushing Perez off, and at one point Hamilton shooting the gap and coming right up the middle into second. Uh, You could have heard the roar in the States when Lewis shot that gap and they were going three wide. It was exactly what you want to see with these new generation of Formula cars. This was absolute fireworks. Oh, it, it was crazy. I mean, for, for, let's let's start first things first. It was absolutely nuts that Ferrari didn't pit Charles Leclerc there. Like, absolutely crazy. At, at the end, they were saying that they didn't have enough time to double stack the two cars, but Charles was four seconds clear of Carlos, which is enough time to, uh, to do a double stack. And, oh, by the way, with the yellow flag, that turns that into like eight, nine seconds. There's plenty of time to do a double stack. They just missed it. They got to put their hand up. They missed it. That's that's all it was. They lost this race for Charles in in the pits, and that's what it comes down to. You just threw Sergio's name in there. Uh, yeah, we we talked about Sergio having some damage at the beginning of the race, getting uh, black and orange flag and having to come into the pit, coming out like P17. Yeah, he was up there in P2. Checo had, I know Checo won at Monaco this year, but this might have been his best racing performance of the year. He 
had an insane, absolutely insane race. Shout out to Checo for everything that he did, um, being able to stay on the track and come back and, and keeping and scoring some very, very important points for Red Bull in the constructors with the one four uh, for Ferrari. Some of the best racing I think I've seen as an F1 fan coming down the stretch in that period where Perez, uh, Leclerc, and Hamilton were all jockeying for position there. The TV broadcast did in a great job at the beginning, but then just completely missed. After Lewis took second place, they just kind of went away from it, and Perez and Leclerc immediately went back in the lead. I looked back at the screen, and I was like, what happened? Like I thought Lewis wasn't second in this race. It was crazy. F1 TV broadcast can be some of the best that you'll see when they're on that string camera following those cards through that chicane that are going three abreast. It is absolutely unbelievable. There was one point Lando Norris passed Lewis Hamilton and the crowd went nuts and then they just didn't show Lewis repass him. They showed the they showed the battle Crazy. and it just it's so it's terrible. But that being said, they got all the camera angles right during when they needed to. Coming out of lap 47, Perez and Leclerc are able to go past Hamilton again. Perez holding on to that to finish P2. Hamilton was also able to repass Leclerc in lap 48 and um, finish on the podium here. The most interesting thing to close out the final lap was Mick Schumacher and Max Verstappen going wheel to wheel. I can't imagine ever saying that in a race that those two would be going and giving some hard racing, even Max potentially weaving to block Mick from going by. Not, not potentially. He, okay. he was weaving. Uh, yeah. Hey, you're the fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just, you got to throw him under the bus, but um, it was great to see Mick uh, almost holding your breath the whole time thinking, is Mick going to blow this um, with a major point haul coming in eighth for the Haas team. But it was awesome to see uh, racing coming down the stretch. Yeah. I, I think that's a major point there. Well, first, let's let's cover Max and and Mick first. Mick, just take the points, man. Like, wh what are you trying to prove? Just take the points. I mean, it was great. It's good to see that competitive fire out of him. I, he's definitely heard all the things that have been said about him the last few weeks, and he does end up getting those points. Granted, in a race that how many cars retired? One, two, three, four, five, six cars retire in this race, and Mick scores points. Haas actually getting double points in this race with Kevin Magnuson finishing p10 um but another side of that is kind of what we what we saw also with sergio charles and um and lewis in some of the racing that they were doing the fia made it pretty clear towards the end of this race that they were just going to let these guys race and they weren't gonna kind of fuck with anything that they were doing i think in the past or last year you might have seen some of the maneuvers that uh sergio did completely off the track at one point garner uh a five second penalty uh certainly charles was uh putting out there some sketchy maneuvers as well that might have garnered some some penalties in the past but credit to the fia they saw the moment they let him race and i i think it made the product better for doing I love that. Alonzo in the post-race saying that he noticed people weaving, so he thought they were going to get penalties and he was going to bump up the leaderboard. He said it like a statement of fact. He's like, okay, so we saw X car and X car weaving, so we're going to jump into P4, right? So much to unpack there, Mike. Uh, Sergio Perez, as you said, one of the best drives uh, going down to 
17th at one point to come all the way back and finish um, on podium, make a statement, and uh, continue to contend in this uh, driver's championship. Max Verstappen in 7th with damaging limitations here, just getting the points he could, and from 80% power, finishing in 7th is pretty damn impressive. Even battling for it, he still wanted to get those points there. And um, it's so different from when Charles crashed and spun out and finished in sixth in Spain. He had the opportunity to finish in third there. Max couldn't have done better in seventh, and it was a blessing that he was able to get those points. It was a miracle that he was able to finish where he was, given how much these cars rely on their floors. Yeah, I mean, he he wanted to retire the car. We referenced it earlier. He said the car was broken and that it wasn't able to drive. And credit to Christian and the team. They kept him out there. They said it was... Uh, damaged but not critical and they wanted him to they wanted him to get the points kind of shades also of lewis earlier this year i forget which uh i forget which race it was but he wanted to retire the car as well and then ended up uh, finishing like p5 or something like that but definitely important points for him he was seen smiling after the race holding up that piece of alpha towery carbon that came from underneath his car i wonder if he would have been smiling if charles won the race i don't think he would have been uh only uh ferrari i should say only or charles only gains six points over max and this definitely needed more than that in order to kind of close the gap where it is right now but I don't know. It, it was it was a great race going down the stretch. I'll say it. Credit to Carlos. He finished the race. He what he won his first Formula One race. Kudos to him. He he got the job done. But there was a lot of stuff that enabled him to do that. And uh, can't help but think there's going to be some serious conversations happening in the Ferrari garage this week. Yeah, it's so interesting that you would never think the second driver on a Ferrari team who's in a fight for a constructor's title, winning a race, and the team coming out looking so poor. Oh, yeah. When Sergio Perez wins Monaco, all anybody talked about was how, what a drive Perez did, and all that was good that came to Red Bull that day. On this day, all anybody talked about was how good it was for Red Bull to secure a second-place finish from Perez and for Max to damage limitations and get seventh as opposed to a first win for Carlos Sainz and a fourth place for Charles Leclerc. So it's very interesting coming out. Um, Maybe that's because we're a little bit further in the season here and maximizing point totals are a little more clear now from where the lines are drawn. But it just seems the narrative coming out of this race was so pro Red Bull and so negative on Ferrari and Ferrari won. Yeah, I mean, we saw it after the race kind of while the the post-race interviews were going on, but Mattia Bonotto was wagging his finger at Charles Leclerc, essentially telling him like, you better not like say anything about what happened in this race. Cause it was just so clear that Charles was angry and he should have been. Um, he was heard on radio asking like if they were on a private channel and he wanted to talk about the strategy and a lot of times when we talk about that, we kind of throw it out there as like a one-off, like, haha, this guy's like mad about getting team orders or something like that. But I think this is one of the rare situations in F1 where the driver is justifiably angry about what's going on in between, like not on the racetrack, but in the strategy room um, and in the engineering room when they're talking about race strategy and stuff. It was, I, I would have been pissed if I was Charles. Oh, without a doubt. So, Mike, um, 
it was an absolute firecracker of a race. I I can't overstate the importance of Joe Guan Yu being safe and yeah. being okay coming out of uh, what was a hellish start to a wonderful Grand Prix the Britons produced on 4th of July weekend. That that they did. I I feel like there's some things that we didn't even get to. I you you mentioned the safety of of Joe Guan Yu and everybody being thrilled that that he's okay. Uh, just to mention as well, Alex Albon also needed to go to the hospital. I think he had some concussion symptoms. He's all right as well, but he was the uh, other driver that needed to be taken care of by the medical team. We didn't even talk about the protesters on the track. We could have had a very different story for this race if there wasn't a. Uh, red flag before the end of the first sector. There were protesters who came on the track as the race started. And if we did not get that red flag, we could have seen some ugly, ugly shit happen in Silverstone. Uh, yeah, we can't even talk about it because it would too much happened. Like insane, just an absolutely insane Sunday at Silverstone. You know your protest is shit when Seb and Lewis Hamilton are telling you that it's an unsafe protest. That's when you know your protest is shit. All right, Mike, so that will close out for Silverstone um, and the British Grand Prix. Any uh, closing thoughts? Any uh, Anything you got to get out there? Got to get out there? Um, I, I think a lot of the racing community, and when I say racing community, I mean all of the commentators for F1 who all happen to be British were all talking about how this is the best racetrack on the F1 circuit. Maybe a little bit of bias. Definitely a lot of best fans, largest crowds, electric atmospheres, which I'm not doubting. It, it was. I will give credit where credit is due. This was an awesome race. The fans came out in droves. I think they said they had like 400,000 patrons there for the entirety of the weekend. It definitely provided the best race of the season so far. Is it the best racetrack on the F1 circuit? We'll call it for this year because it gave us the best race. We'll call it the best so far, but I don't know. Seems seems like a little bit of a hometown heroes. Oh, definitely. But you also don't know because you haven't seen all of them yet. So... That's true. But yes, definitely uh, the race of the year so far. I can't wait for next week. See what if they can follow it up in Austria. I don't know how you can, but if they if if they can manage to follow up what happened at Silverstone, I, I think we got to start talking about F1 as being like the NBA and being scripted because I don't know how you can beat that. We will go right into our pool recap. Still in first place, yours truly, Mr. Michael O'Byrne, after his uh, wild card selection last week and his Lewis Hamilton selection this week? I did take Lewis Hamilton. I took the bait. Um, and I think ultimately in the grand scheme of things, I got what I expected. So I'll take the result. There was a point during that race that I thought Lewis Hamilton was going to get me a dub. And I think there were a lot of Lewis Hamilton backers out there and maybe even a lot of non Lewis Hamilton backers who thought at a certain point where he took over the race that he was going to be able to, to close the deal. Um, P3, I will certainly take it taking Lewis. I came into this race saying I was going to take George Russell. I didn't really like how he performed in free practice, so I stayed off him. I was going to throw the race, but then when you see Lewis up there at the top of all of those practice sessions, it's kind of hard not to take him. So you did maintain your route by taking Lewis. A lot of the jumpers on the leaderboard this week had Lewis as well. Um, he was the most selected driver with nine. The second most selected driver was Lance Stroll. That was due to duplicates and no picks, as he was the worst qualifying driver. Another person who did not submit a selection already took Lance Stroll, so he was gifted Mick Schumacher 
who qualified P19 and lucked out and got mixed four points. Uh, but I will run down the top ten here. Michael O'Byrne in first, Liam Callahan in second, Sean Hutton in third, Corey Cook in fourth, Tom Riccardi rounding out the top five, Gino, my cousin Charlene on a Carlos Sainz win, the only person to have Sainz this week, so she took a big jump up. Nick Cirillo and Frank Skrzewski and Daniel Shuck rounding out our top ten. So, like I said, a lot of the jumps up the leaderboard were due to uh, taking Lewis Hamilton because uh, he was the most selected driver. A few Lando Norris's out there, uh, myself having Lando as well, uh, worked out in my favor. Um, but we'll get into this here. Did it? Did Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris there perform? I think, I referenced it, I think if you took Lewis Hamilton, you got what you expected to get out of Lewis Hamilton. You were taking Lewis Hamilton because you were looking for a podium at Silverstone. And I got a podium at Silverstone, so I'm happy with that. If you took Lando Norris, I would say you're disappointed with his result. Lando finished on the podium earlier this year. He's capable of doing it. If you're looking to maximize points, you were probably looking for a podium here out of Lando as well. Also disappointing that they just botched the pitch strategy there at the end. And if he goes in when he's supposed to, he probably takes another position away from Fernando Alonso and finishes P5 that you're squabbling over points there. But I, I think if you took Lewis Hamilton, you got what you expected. If you took Lando, you're probably a little bit disappointed. Well, so I think we talked about it a little earlier when uh, George Russell, who has now broken his top five streak, uh, the weasel is out of the top five. But the difference between third and fifth doesn't matter over the course of the season. He was continually getting uh, placing in there, but it's only a marginal amount of points. Similar here with my thinking on Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. This is kind of where they finished all year. So you did get your points that was expected. I think that's a good word to use. It was the average amount of points that they were about to get. Lewis maybe on the higher side, Lando right on that average, I think, of like six. You know what I mean? I think he said he got a podium, but right around, you know, five, seven is probably where he finishes uh, most races at. I am one of the few people who has Lewis Hamilton left to take. I'm one of three people. This weekend gave me the opportunity to think that Lewis Hamilton can win a race. And now that I've seen it, now I have him available for the rest of the year. If anybody else wants to take him, they have to use their wild card. So in my theory, I think I actually lucked out not taking Lewis here. P3, great result. Take your points. Run with it. I understand. But I think uh, maybe being the opposite, as I said, my cousin Charlene taking signs here, even when she took him and I put, I texted her amino and said, that is a great pick. Because no one's going to be on him. And if it hits, you just make up. She made up 10 points on the field and potentially even more. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a different way to think about it. I don't think it's a wrong way to think about it. Um, we The same strategy that we apply to our season-long golf pool and we have the same conversation pretty much on a weekly basis can be applied to this pool. You're either going to take a guy in a spot where nobody else is taking him and get a big advantage out of it like your cousin Charlene did. Well, you either you either bet with the house or you bet with the public. It seems like most of these uh, races, it's that's where it seems to go. Yeah, I mean, it, let, let's say Lewis Hamilton ends up winning that race, or he's the same. He finishes P three and he gets sixteen points. Like 
if you don't see a Lewis Hamilton result like that for the rest of the season, or you feel like you're maximizing your points there, then like you missed an opportunity if you didn't take them with, with the masses. So it's two different ways to look at it. I agree with you. I think Lewis Hamilton can win a race this season. I would not take in would not have taken Lewis in this race. If I didn't think he did not have the opportunity to win. I don't know how many negatives we threw into that sentence, but we're going with it. But yeah, I mean, it, for me, I'm ha- I'm happy with the result. I I think if Lewis Hamilton does get a win this re- with win this year, much like Carlos, something wonky is going to have to happen with the Red Bulls and the Ferraris. But it's certainly possible, and I I do not doubt he will definitely have a finish this year higher than P3, most likely P2. But I don't know. I I'm not going to look at this race and say like I'm disappointed with Lewis getting a P3. I think Lu- I think Lando has the opportunity to finish higher than he did in this race, which is why I was saying that I would be disappointed if I took Lando. Yeah, no, and I, I'm I think I, I'm on the opposite end there. I think that I think that Lewis is he might want to race this year now. After after seeing what I saw there, I think he has the opportunity and the car to do it. Um, I think it's going to be track specific. You might need some wonky stuff to happen, but I still think that Lewis's wins out there, and I I think I'm going to go chase it. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good uh, I think that's a good strategy. All right, Mike, we'll go right into Austria here. Uh, the Austria Grand Prix will be hosted at what is known as the Red Bull Ring. It is Red Bull's home race. Seventy-one laps, ten turns, three DRS zones. The lap record was set by Carlos Sainz in two thousand twenty at one oh five. Um, you might see around a one oh three, a one oh two, depending on how quick qualifying is. This is a sprint week. We do have a sprint, which will be very exciting. So I will break down the schedule for the week. July 8th, Friday, free practice one starts at 730 while qualifying. Once again, I will say qualifying. You will need your picks in by 11 a.m. Saturday, free practice two starts at 630 in the morning with the sprint commencing at 1030. Um, this will be a sprint race. Once again, you also have to submit a pick for the sprint race. Uh, everybody should go back. I'll email um, out maybe who you took in your first sprint race. So you know uh, not to submit a duplicate, but you can take anyone on the grid as long as you did not take them in the first sprint race of the year. Finally, Sunday, July 10th, the race will happen at 9 a.m. I'm excited. Last year, we saw Max dominate here at home at the Red Bull ring. Some uh, stuff happened with Lewis Hamilton not being able to uh, perform similar to um, how Max Verstappen had today and was limited. Uh, so Valtteri Bottas and Lando Norris closed out the podium in 2021. This is a very quick track. I played it today on the new F122 game at Mr. Nice Guy 1218 on Xbox if you're out there. Um, come race with me. It'll be a lot of fun. The sprint here this week will add an added element to the weekend. Um, so make sure you have your qualifying picks in um, on Friday. I'll send out a reminder. But Mike, what are you thinking here? Um, your home race? Not Well, not my home race, but certainly the Red Bulls home race. Uh, I mean, I think this is about as cookie cutter as you can get it. This This track is set up for the Red Bulls originally. If uh, I stuck to my plan, I, I referenced earlier in an earlier episode of the podcast that I had certain spots picked out for certain guys. This was a spot that I had picked out for a max wildcard. And ultimately, uh, some situations changed and I had to use that a little bit earlier. But 
if you still get a max wild card on you, I, I think you should definitely look at it for this week. It's set up for the Red Bulls to run well. Um, if you've used Max, maybe this is a week to use Checo as well. Um, and you're not looking at any of the Red Bulls, you might be looking at an area that I'm looking for. One of the other teams on the track that maybe has the second best straight line speed in the Alpines. I've already used uh, Fernando Alonso, so I think I'm going to be looking at Esteban this week. All right, nice. Um, do you have a prediction? I assume you're going Max. Oh, as far as a prediction, yeah, I think this is a Red Bull week. I wouldn't be surprised if you got a Red Bull one two. Um, I'm going to be taking Max in the sprint. I took I took uh, Charles in the the first sprint of the year, so I'm going to be taking Max in this one. Yeah, I'll be um, right behind you to second that in both. I'll I'll be on Max for the sprint, and I will certainly um, take a peek at what's going to go on there. But, yeah, it's something circled on the calendar for a Red Bull dominant victory. Uh, it plays right into their strengths of straight line speed here, as well as, as you said, the Alpine. With it being such a short track, I think you might see some potential for cars getting held up on lapped cars. Even in the sprint, you might see some lapped cars because you really have to move here with it only taking a minute to go around. And just speed after speed after speed, uh, what I say? 13 turns, 10 turns, you're, you, don't Not find, you don't find many uh, courses that are going to have less turns on a track. So it's really going to play into speed, and uh, currently there's no one better at it. So no. I will agree. All right, Mike, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Um, it was great having you on to recap uh, 4th of July and the British Grand Prix. I can't believe I'm saying those two in the same sentence, but um, final thoughts. Final thoughts. It this was such a crazy weekend. There's so much to unpack. I think we did a good job getting all of it out there, but I'm sure we missed something just because of how much that happened. Go rewatch it because you're not gonna not be entertained. Yeah. It, to summarize, Carlos gets a win, but did the Ferraris actually win? That will do it for at the F609, Mr. Frank Skrajewski and Mr. Michael O'Byrne signing off. Like I'm going to do a lot of with this kid in a new McLaren. Push, push. Push, push, F. I'm sure you can take some stuff from the beginning and throw it at the end. Oh, why? Were you going to say something stupid again? Have you put it at the end? I didn't have anything planned. Sounds pretty stupid. Sounds stupid to me.